0: You're listening to Write, Write with the Story Perfect Editing Team. Visit us at www.storyperfectediting.com for more information on developmental editing, copy editing, and proofreading services for your writing. Season 1, Episode 8. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Episode 8 of the Write, Write podcast with Story Perfect's Editing Team. My name is Elon. I am an apprentice editor with Story Perfect, and, uh... Why don't we just go straight into what I'm reading instead of doing, like, a roundabout and then roundabout again. Um, Currently reading Dreams of Distant Shores uh, by Tachyon Publications, or, well, it's by Patricia A. McKillop, published by Tachyon Publications. They're very kind, and they send me books to read and review, so um, I'm usually reading something by them. But, uh, yeah, so far it's delightful, but I haven't gotten terribly far into it. Uh, How about you, John?
1: Uh, I'm John, and I am the senior editor at Story Perfect. Um, Right now, I am still reading Fellowship of the Ring, Um, so when I'm not snowed in with all kinds of uh, editing work, I do pick away at my reading, but I'm enjoying reading this very slowly. I actually read a couple books at the same time, so I'm uh, also working my way through Stephen James' uh, Story Trump structure, so I I like to generally alternate between between something that's all about learning more about fiction craft and uh, just... Pure fiction for the fun of it. So, <laughs> I could say I read 130 pages. How about
0: you, Katie?
2: I'm Katie. I am copy editor at Story Perfect.
0: Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry,
2: we're all glitchy today.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of glitches <laughs> happening.
2: That's yeah. right. So I'm reading a collection of like comics called Moonshot,
1: and oh, you wow, can that looks see really cool. that it's <laughs> awesome.
2: Um, It's a collection of of Native American comics um, published by a publisher that only does Native American work and is, like, employed by Native Americans, and they only publish Native American authors, and I found them at a Comic-Con booth that was real pretty, so I went in and I bought a bunch of books, and I'm working my way through that right now. It's awesome. Awesome. What about about you, you, Ian? Ian?
3: Hello. I'm Ian, and I am an apprentice editor at Story Perfect. Um, currently, I'm reading Elantris by Brandon Sanderson.
0: Oh, that's a really good one.
3: Yeah. It's um, it's a good book.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I'm i a big Brandon Sanderson fan, so I love hearing when people are reading his books. And mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people aren't huge fans. And you know what? That's okay. There's mm-hmm. a lot of books in the world. and I'll get over it someday.
1: (laughs) If you enjoy enjoy Elantracy, and make sure you check out Mistborn, that was probably my favorite of all the books that he's ever written.
0: Okay, cool. So this time, we are going to be talking about uh, a topic that Ian brought up during one of our last podcasts when we were talking about breaking the rules. Uh, And Ian mentioned that it's a completely different kettle of fish when we talk about dialogue. Uh, Because, you know, inline narration is pretty formal and strict about its rules, but we we all know that people don't actually talk using formal prescriptive grammar. Um, So we wanted to talk about what breaking the rules means uh, within dialogue and, you know, surrounding dialogue. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to kick it over to, we were just discussing this right before I hit record, um, and we had a few really good things going at the beginning. Uh, so let's start with attribution, because John brought it up and it turned into this nice little discussion. John, let's talk about attribution.
1: Okay, so attribution is a, a term that we use to, talk, to um, talk about what you do, how you tell a, a reader who's speaking. He said, she said, think of it like that. But you can also um, you can write a paragraph in a way where you show the speaker in action – and then the reader will assume that that person is speaking. So there's, a, I like to call that explicit, or there's an explicit, which is the he said, she said, an implicit attribution where you imply it through, you know, you see the person in action. Um, so a lot of times, like there's this sort of fad going around that you have to kill all he said, she said, because, you know, it gets repetitive but the reality is that those are usually invisible to the reader as long as they're not used redundantly. So if it's obvious that someone is speaking and then you say, "She said" or "She asked," then uh, it's going to start to feel repetitive because the reader's like, "Well, I already know it's that person speaking." Um, so a lot of writers just try to cut them all out, and you end up with, you know, just people zipping across the room to grab their coffee cup, just so that you could show them speaking, and that gets a bit clunky. So really attribution is is a is a subtle art there's a I know for myself when I edit a lot of times it's about you know or they won't put any attribution in and it's like you need to put something in here and it's like isn't it obvious who's speaking? It's like well no, the reader needs to get a little reminder of who's talking
0: absolutely um you were saying something Katie about it as well
2: yeah I mean I, I went to a workshop recently where where someone said that I had too many attributes um and i disagreed (laughs) but i don't because i know that that, like i have dealt with this because when you're writing it you know how many times you wrote it so it starts to feel like a lot to you you think i just said he said up here in reality to the reader that's like a whole scene ago or yesterday in the character's lives like they don't put it together as like sequentially as you do um Mm -hmm. so as a writer it feels like sometimes you want to cut them because it feels like you're writing so many of them at once, but it's because you're writing it. The people reading it don't register it the same way. And I think that's like an important distinction to make.
0: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, to offer sort of a counterpoint to that though, I just, uh, recently, um, listened to an audiobook of John Scalzi's red shirts. Um, and he just uses, he uses attribution. like he, he, does the exact same format of attribution throughout the entire book. And it feels really weighty when you're reading um, a scene in which, you know, five characters mm. are talking to each other and every line is followed by doll said, you know, uh, Martinez said, whatever, like yeah. it just follows with their name and so-and-so said, so-and-so said, so-and-so said, and it's every single line. And it becomes really distracting. Uh, when I was listening to the audiobook, which was read really well, uh, I just like, it stopped being meaningful language and just turned into like a weird attached bite of sound at the end of like a piece of dialogue was like doll said at the, at the end of every line, you know, you know I just um, read
2: that book, but I read it. So I wonder, I mean, there's got to be a key difference between like listening to the audiobook and hearing it said over yeah. and over again and reading it where you're just like, your eyes kind of skip over it.
1: I think yeah. that's the key point uh, when it comes to because it's invisible to a reader, but to a listener, um that's it's different. Because yeah. as you're reading it, that that said or the you know the explicit attribution it just tells you oh this this dialogue here belongs to this person you don't you don't necessarily picture them doing anything but when you're hearing it read aloud of course it's going to be distracting
0: yeah it absolutely changes yeah um but at the same time like Attribution is is critical. Like y- you want to err on the side of over attributing, probably because it can get corrected later in editing. But mm. if you if you have scenes that are ambiguous where characters who are speaking to each other, like you can't parse which character is speaking to whom they're speaking or whatever, um, then it'll be really difficult down the road. So like I mean, as you're working through your up first draft,
2: in copy editing for me a bit, because I will note everywhere. I'm like if I don't know who said it, I'll make a note there because. There's no way, a lot of times I can't figure out who said it in the scene, depending on how many people are in the scene. Like, there's no way for me to infer who said it, so I'll just have to make a note for the author, like, I don't know who said this, you need to figure it out. Sometimes they don't know who said it, <laughs> they just yeah, put I mean, it in.
0: <laughs> even in long stretches of, of dialogue between two characters, if you're not attributing at least every few <sighs> lines, yeah. like, you'll the reader will get lost. I've certainly gotten lost in a scene in a room with two people about who was talking.
2: Well, and formatting and dialogue has, I think, something to do with that. Um, yeah. like How it's written on the page can be, if it's not consistent and in the format people expect, like sometimes there'll be like a paragraph with dialogue included in it and then a, like a double space and then a separate line of dialogue and you don't know if they've switched speakers or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the, the formatting is, is, is super important as far as like when you're switching speakers and to keep track of it. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you think there's like a secret sauce for for attribution or, you know, like it, it's just it's just use all of the tools, you know, use uh, he said, she said, and use action to, dic- to, to tell who's speaking and maybe uh, let a few of them go from here to, from time to time uh, just to like keep it fresh or is it simplify?
2: I mean, for me, it's like you have to sit down with your character and say, like, are they doing something? Are you forcing them to do something because you don't know who's cause you want to say who's talking? Or are they actually doing something? So I, I wouldn't put an action on them that they otherwise wouldn't be doing. Yeah. Um, for the sake of dialogue. So like there is a good mix for sure, but like you just have to really think about like, is is your character the kind of person who would be fidgeting while they're talking, in which case you can give them a ton of actions. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like whatever's more true to your character, I think.
0: Yeah. I tend to do things like, uh, inserting pauses, uh, not as like ellipsis within the dialogue, but I'll yeah. use, you know, comma, close quote, he paused yeah, and I then reopen too. the quote because it attributes it and it gives some action that is really natural within, you know, the uh, human speech. Um, but I think I might do it too much. Uh, I'll I, tend I'd to like break up too. a line of dialogue, <laughs> yeah. uh, to be like, he yawned.
2: My characters when it's like not trail necessary. off a lot. Like and it'll be oh. like, comma, he trailed off. Like instead of ellipses because I'm <sighs> very against ellipses. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they kinda I always have a, I have a tough time with them when I'm editing, uh I'll see it and be like, I wish that this wasn't in here. Like it's totally fine and it's grammatically correct, but something about it feels wrong to me. It's and kind that's just of a my cheat. own bias.
2: I think like it's a cheat for like You can imply something without actually giving your character some motivation for doing that or, like, explaining, like, he's pausing because it's painful or he's pausing because he's tired. It's kind of a cheat to just put an ellipsis there and have the reader just be like, oh, I guess he's um, thinking.
1: (laughs) I'm remembering, as you're talking about this, I'm remembering uh, the second book that I tried to write – Whenever I couldn't think of what to write next, I just had the person trail off with ellipses. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. As you're describing that, I'm remembering, like, and I think a lot of times they do give you an easy out because it's easy to have someone start something and it's like, oh crap, I don't know where this is going. Okay, dot, dot, dot. And then. Exactly. And of course yeah, that's just, just going <laughs> to piss off your reader. And
2: so. <laughs> exactly. That's how I feel about them. I'm against them in dialogue, I'm against them anywhere. <laughs> I'm just against I, them.
0: I, I, Similarly, I I have characters interrupt each other a lot, and oh, I use God. an m dash. So, like, if I don't know where something's going, I'll be like, "So and so cuts in," like right in the middle of this line of dialogue, <laughs> so that there's no. <laughs> because sometimes, uh, you know, you you write these, these lines of dialogue that feel super unnatural, and you're like, well, "What? What? Where's this going? I need to cut this off right here." <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
0: talking. Yeah, there's a um. So attribution is. It, it, it's a fascinating way to to look at things, but you can also give, you know, you want to imbue your character's dialogue with a lot of personality, um, because
2: then you, know you can you can
0: actually infer a lot <laughs> about who's talking by the way that they talk, by their choice of words, by uh, contraction use, by you know uh, even sentence structure. If someone is like, um, you know. Uh, there's a book that i'd recently read the main character was kind of like hyperactive and the way that was represented within dialogue was you know there was very little uh pausing there was no there were a few commas and the sentences were all correct but they were kind of run on e because that was how this character spoke um and it made it really clear when she was speaking uh, yeah. even without uh attribution
2: well and to your point elon i just edited a manuscript where Um, All of the characters' dialogue sounded the same, and I'm guessing that's how the author (laughs) speaks, because everyone used the same – they started sentences with, well, this is what I think. Well, I'm going to go to the store. I I mean, it's Mm. unrealistic that every single one of your characters from, like, a peasant to, like, upper New York, (laughs) like, echelon is going to start a sentence with, well Well. – And and it made them all sound just really similar, and it was very confusing, and they didn't have personality. And then the attribution became really important because they all sounded yeah. the same. And so, yeah, that's one way to get around it is just to make sure that your characters have clear personalities that's reflected in the dialogue and that it's not necessarily you as a writer it, that's not exactly how you sound. I probably have one character who sounds like me, you know, and then yeah. you have to sort of branch from there and say, okay, not everyone can be like, dude, that's
0: not. Yeah, that's something that I've always struggled with as a writer um, is, you know, pulling my voice out of character dialogue. Um, There's actually so one of the first times I really noticed a really simple trick to achieving this kind of uh, separation of characters was when I was reading the Wheel of Time series, Um, because each of the characters has like a tick like a verbal tick that they use Mm -hmm. uh you've got your characters that say like you've got your eeyore style character in perrin who who speaks a certain way slowly and methodically and kind of like oh bother and then you've got matt (laughs) coffin who says blood and bloody ashes like every two words and you've got all these other characters who have these sort of vocal tics that make it very clear that it's their voice. And eventually, I think that they were able to develop actually more unique uh, character voices. But you use those kind of tics, and you don't overuse them yeah. if you're struggling to imbue your characters with different like, voices. Like
3: uh, Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. He always says, bloody hell. Yeah, yeah. totally. Like every three sentences.
2: He does say it a lot. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: And Hermione uses, I think, actually quite a bit. Actually, yeah.
2: That makes sense. Yeah. I bet she
1: does this when she does it, too.
0: Oh, totally. The, the <laughs> sweet, pushing your glasses up on your nose.
1: Yeah. That's, that's so thats, that's so
0: anime of you. <laughs>
1: these um, <laughs> these tics are, are okay as long as, I mean, in the case of Hermione, actually is a great tick because it so suits her totally. personality. So yeah. I think if, if you choose a way of speaking that is is uh, revealing about someone's character, then that's great. That's exactly what you want to yeah. do.
0: But at the same time, you want to avoid certain pitfalls, right? Like, there's also uh, things that you really shouldn't do to try to differentiate characters uh, who are speaking, like using misspelling or bad grammar to indicate class, um, Move. or to even yep. do something worse, like indicate race using, uh, like broken language. Like it's yeah. one thing to use, uh, like honest you, linguistic differences, but Toni
2: Morrison, don't do it. Okay. Yeah. Tony Morrison is the only person who can do it.
0: Maybe, maybe her and like Octavia Butler.
2: Yeah. Right. That's it. Uh, like, don't, don't go there. Don't do it. It's yeah. a bad yeah. idea. And it's annoying to read. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's. It's strongly inconsiderate to try to differentiate between people in terms of uh, class and stuff by by dropping. It, it, it's hard to describe, but it's and and I won't. I certainly won't do a voice on no, on the podcast. Devotions. But it's but you know what it would sound like, right? Don't do that in your writing. Yeah. Uh, don't do a caricature. Well, um, and
2: it happens a lot. I feel like with um like the in the U.S. like Southern accents, right? Yeah. people want to. Um, write that with like using apostrophes like i n apostrophe for all their gerunds and stuff and
0: yeah totally
2: i i might be more okay with that than anything else but just like occasionally but even then i I I still think like you can add in descriptors of how they sound without having to like I think, again, it's it's a cheat, right? Like, I don't yeah. want to have to describe their southern accents. I'm just going to write it this demented way.
0: Totally. So I think another good example from uh, The Wheel of Time, because they have so many characters with different accents, um, like, uh, I can't remember the accent of the, of the ship captain where he was from, but he had all of these phrases. He would say things like, by my own aged mother, and things like that. Phrases <laughs> that were foreign, but were not offensive. Uh, like, you can you can do things like use uh, idiomatic expressions or uh, quirks of of grammar. Like maybe they end a sentence differently. Uh, yeah. frequently because that's how it's spoken wherever they're from instead of making it seem like a caricature of people who aren't able to <clears throat> quote unquote speak normally yeah. i think that's really what it comes down to um yeah. different speech and this is a like a thing that comes down from like the pidgin languages right like people uh you know racistly assume that because <laughs> uh because they sound like uh broken in different English, things like African-American vernacular English are somehow inferior. Uh, uh, there are somehow like inferior language when in reality, they're actually linguistically sophisticated and have a lot of really rigid rules um, <coughs> that work because they're developed by a culture.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the best, uh, like I, somehow it is an example both for and against this um, in East of Eden, there's a mm-hmm. character who is uh, Chinese and he speaks like a, a weird pigeon, and then like halfway or more through the book, he, he works for like the main character in the house, and halfway or more through the book, you find out that he speaks perfect English, but he's purposely speaking a different way to make so that people aren't like uh, they Up don't make him. other assumptions about him, Yeah, or they just don't know the truth about him. Yeah. He, he wants yeah. them to assume those things. So it's written specifically like pigeon style, I guess. Up until yeah. you find out that he's capable of An like upper
3: class gentleman,
2: exactly. And I and I yeah. think I'm I think like, I mean
0: there's there's historical examples of those kinds of things happening with exactly. great frequency, like the development of Yiddish and Ladino. Say for Jewish communities in Europe, uh, they they took elements of language from. The world around them, German and Polish and Spanish and whatever, and inserted a bunch of their own, uh, you know, language into it and created what masquerades as, uh, a certain language, but is really a private language. Yeah.
2: Um, well, and I think more importantly, like Steinbeck uses the way he writes it on the page to highlight the difference. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I think that's like a, if it's for a purpose. Like there's a clear purpose. That's like a whole philosophy behind why he's doing it. Like that's totally different to me than, than just doing it. So, you know, someone is from Kentucky. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, like
0: they can say y'all. Yeah. But, and that's fine.
2: We can all but don't, say y'all.
0: <laughs> we can all say y'all. Uh, it, it is a really interesting conundrum though, because you want to, you want to provide your characters with sort of a cultural differences, say, um, that that are often represented in in local dialects um and how do you differentiate between them without uh without coming across as belittling or uh yeah you know or or well, whatever it is and one know, trick, that subculture
2: <laughs> one trick that's actually used uh, in a cartoon futurama is there's ah. a character named amy wong and she is, speaks perfect english but her parents are chinese so when she curses she curses in chinese yeah. <laughs> and like that's just a good way to show like maybe she speaks another language, maybe she has a little bit of an accent, but you don't need to like it's not an important part of like it doesn't speak to something else about her. It's yeah, just Yeah, I mean,
0: it says a lot about a person's uh connection to their ethnic heritage that they choose right. something as Perhaps personally important as frustrated cursing in their yeah. mother tongue, right? Like, I think that's actually a really good example. Cursing, uh, yeah, cursing,
2: <laughs> yeah. cursing is actually really important in your in first language. That's yeah. my
0: <laughs> totally.
2: And everyone always understands it, no matter if they speak your language or not. They know when you are cursing at them. Mm-hmm. That's been my personal experience. <laughs> yeah, one hundred
0: percent true. <laughs> um, so we're 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 about halfway through the show, um, and I want to go back to this idea of uh, breaking the rules, uh, which is sort of how this idea started. And I think that our conversation up until now has been fascinating, but it talks more about these sort of high level issues with, um, with, with dialogue and identity and uh, character identity, which I think we can talk about character in another episode, in another, you know, season we can talk about character probably (laughs) for, uh, you know, forever uh, because that's all stories really are. Um, but let's talk more about this idea of grammatical rules and structure when it comes to uh, to dialogue, um, because as we said in the Breaking the Rules podcast a few weeks ago, uh, the rules are fairly um, strict in narration, but when in, when it comes to dialogue, they're a bit more malleable. Um, in particular, I think that there are certain types of grammatic structures that you probably don't see often in you know spoken words because it's just not very natural to use. Can you guys think of any that are like off the top of your head? I can't.
1: Not particularly. One thing that
0: I got into an interest, sorry.
1: Go for it. one thing that comes to mind when you're talking about, you know, where if you represent how people speak, we don't speak if you were to record somebody, I mean, just write up a court transcript, for example, you know, there's all kinds of things that people say and when they're speaking that aren't pretty like even if you were to I, I know just listening to this i said you know and sometimes we go um and we have all these things and if you try to capture real life it's it's just gonna read very sloppy on the page so dialogue one one sure one thing that i read i think it's from self uh, editing for fiction writers by dave king and uh rennie brown very good book uh and one thing that he mentioned in there is that um dialogue is an idealized picture of how people speak. It, you, you, it's mm. clean. It's, it's the way it would sound if things came out perfect. And that's just yeah. how it's done in fiction. If you try to represent real life too accurately, you're going to throw readers off because that's not what they come to books to, to read about.
0: Yeah, they don't want to listen mm-hmm. to you struggle to get, a, to get a sentence out.
1: Yeah,
2: I think sometimes for me, the only time to really differentiate is, like, in the introduction of a character, it's, like, the first thing they're saying, and I want to make it clear that they're talking to a valley girl or something, then I will add in a like or an um. Mm -hmm. But then you can reference that instead of including it in the dialogue. You can say, and she said it with all of her usual likes and ums, Mm -hmm. instead of including a like with commas every, every other word.
0: Yeah, it can grow a bit cumbersome, the use of uh, those ticks. I think, exactly. going, going back to the earlier example of character in The Wheel of Time, uh, those ticks did become a bit cumbersome after 14 books. Like, okay, we, we get it. Personally, we get how these people talk.
3: <laughs> personally, I only think the word like works if you're writing as a 16-year-old girl. Like a 16-year-old teenage girl in in high school.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know... I was born in California and I have never stopped saying dude or like ever. Yeah. When I talk to my token sister, Californian dudes. as, as I, when I call my sister, I go, dude, you should have seen it. It was like, oh my God. And mm-hmm. It's just nonsense, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is your job to clean that up and make it, mm-hmm. it. You can use a sentence like that as an example of how someone talks, and you can be like, yeah. I don't understand them. They sound, what does that even mean? But yeah, I, I you mean, can't do it for very long. <laughs> I've
0: had partial conversations as a token Californian that consisted entirely of the word "dude," dude, um, dude, 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 yeah. dude. <laughs> uh, and that's not going to work in your fiction
2: it's at really all not. because you can't there's a do lot intonation. of paralinguistic
0: stuff that happens with body language and with tone and with shifting mm-hmm. tones within the individual dudes that really you can't put on the page.
2: Um, yeah, exactly. Well, I, and unless so, you're. Really, like, unless the point is that your 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 character is the outsider and they are watching a conversation like this happen and they are confused by it, you know? Like, you can make a sort of scene out of two people only saying, dude, and, and your character not understanding that, but... Yeah,
0: I mean, that's how you can show someone entering a magical world like Harry Potter arriving in Diagon Alley right. and hearing people talking about brooms yeah. using, you know, yeah. language that makes a lot of sense, but, like... <clears throat> yeah it was foreign it was so like you still the, the,
2: only get to do it like once
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah because afterwards it's a little frustrating um i got into an interesting conversation with a with a fellow writer online about whether or not you could hear semicolons in speech <laughs> um, <laughs> and i was arguing that you can't and he was arguing that he can uh but he also speaks very formally so perhaps he can um and i i, I don't want to I don't want to Ooh. necessarily judge his approach. I think that's perfectly uh, valid. But yeah. I have a hard time uh, distinguishing between like commas, uh, m dashes, and all those kinds of different pauses that are u- really useful in the written word uh, in speech.
3: I uh, just yeah. got done editing a book where the author kept using, like, okay, so, and then she said semicolon dialogue. Yeah, uh, totally. Ah.
2: <laughs> I know. I, I, that we, happens a lot because people don't know what happens between the attributes and the actual dialogue yeah. a lot of the mm-hmm. times. So, what was really in I mean, yeah. err on the side of a comma, just yeah. usually. Yeah. The yeah. thing is, that was interesting <laughs> like, about... That's usually the right answer. About,
1: you know, what was interesting about that project, because that's something that I worked with um, Ian on, And it's interesting how everybody will learn the rules of grammar differently. Some people will pick up Mm – I mean, in terms of that manuscript, I'm sure that semicolon was just – that was the right thing to do. And so it's a simple correction. And, you know, of course, when we pointed out to the author, it's like, oh, wow, okay, thanks. And and he sort of has internalized it. But the thing is, you know, if -hmm. you don't ever get editing done on your work – you don't have somebody to sort of teach you that, by the way, this is the rule right. on semicolons or on, or on di- you know, uh, right. in particular yeah. punctuation before you open dialogue. That's, that's a tricky one. Sometimes people get tripped on whether there's a period or a comma or whatever the punctuation is. Yeah, Yeah. I
0: I did a manuscript where the error throughout, uh, and John worked with me on this, where the error throughout was uh, a period at the end of uh, a line of dialogue followed by uh, attribution or action Mm -hmm. that required a comma there. Uh, And I think that people, assume that like a finished sentence means a period even if it's within dialogue but that's not necessarily the case when someone speaks and then is you know committing some kind of action while they speak that means that you put a comma at the end of that line of dialogue um but there are times when that's not the case you know like you know if somebody sighs after dialogue they're not sighing the line of dialogue necessarily they sigh after the dialogue so you might where where you might put in you know he asked Say after a line of dialogue, he sighed, is treated perhaps differently, or he looked out the window. Probably not being said. Probably not being done while he's speaking, uh, unless it is, and it's a very dramatic moment.
2: Yeah. Not- <laughs> well, and like you said, John, about like understanding the rules. It's and that's probably why your the person you were talking to, Elon, couldn't hear a semicolon is because they know where a semicolon belongs. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you understand the rules and you hear dialogue, you might say, like, yeah, a, a semicolon would go there. But
3: mm-hmm.
2: the reality is that, like, there's there's not that many people <laughs> who can hear that, and it is really hard to imply that two clauses are related when you're talking. Yeah, um, they can people... be related, but sure. I think it's hard to. I mean, just personally, I wouldn't include a semicolon in my dialogue, probably, because Depending I Depending just...
0: on who is speaking, right? Like, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, that, like, someone who's uh, aggressively formal might actually speak with a semicolon, but it's probably still fairly unlikely. Um, I, I think, you know, I, I've done a, a, a number of transcriptions of interviews and stuff for, for jobs and things like that, and the thing that i've noticed about the way people speak in this uh in this thing in this in this life thing is that they'll start a sentence and then in the middle of that sentence they'll shift into another sentence Um, and that's a very natural thing for us to hear but it's a very unnatural thing for us to write yeah um and so I think and that's it's, why you
2: have to change how people talk a little bit. Like John was saying, yeah. you just can't, yeah, you
0: can't just mimic have them. fully authentic human speech because it would yeah. be bonkers yeah. and difficult to read.
2: It would be a monstrosity. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: And, and so I, th- I think, you know, I'm reading a, I'm reading a, a manuscript now for an editorial evaluation and the person, the the author has done has done a few things that I think are very unnatural for for dialogue, you know, like refusing to use certain contra- contractions or uh well, having people call each other
2: contractions is my yeah. enemy.
0: Yeah, like it is. People very rarely say it is to each yeah. other. Almost yeah. never.
2: You will notice it, and I've done this with manuscripts through StoryPerfect. It's like maybe when you're writing it you can you you just think, well, this, this character, um, you know, is kind of formal, so they wouldn't use contractions, but even formal people use contractions. It's, yeah. W- when there are zero contractions in the dialogue, it, they sound like robots. They sound really strange. And, totally. and they lose some, some humanity, I think. Like, they sound odd. And I will always add some in, even if the character, the one I usually settle on is cannot. Some people are like, I yeah. cannot do this. That sort of is an emphasis as opposed to just like, it's is a great example. Cause everyone says it's that. yeah. It's <laughs> well, I think
3: is the most important one to is. continue What's, to use. What really irks me is when the author isn't very consistent with his contractions and like switches in between using them then not using them for like whole paragraphs. Oh yeah. Especially when there's like different characters. Key for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: Contractions are tricky mm-hmm. to get um, somebody to correct because there's so many of them. So uh, I yeah. found a nice pay, a nice um. website that has a, a huge list of them, and they said, "Go to town, go and search them." <laughs> you know, if you if you really want to, <laughs> yeah. if you want to, because the thing is, if if you decide that you want to create contractions and you want to kill some of that formal language, it's not a quick. I mean, it's easy to search for a apostrophe and create. Uh, or you know, get, destroy contractions yeah. mm-hmm. if that was what you wanted to do for a character. But going the other way is tricky because there's so many words that you have to search to. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. if you have like a, you know, two hundred thousand word for manuscript, is
2: <laughs> and not that should be fine. No. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's right. <laughs> is plus. Yeah, you not. can decide which which ones are your culprits, and that's the thing. That's why having editing helps because the editors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what we do when we when like a going over for a copy edit or an express edit uh we we catch that stuff and i mean that's why um you know it's there but of course when patterns emerge and it's something that could you could say okay go and search this Mm -hmm. word because you are all you're always saying it is and then we can send them on a hunt and in fact that's better for the author because the author then is more likely to internalize it Absolutely. Well, yeah,
2: and John, and we worked with an author like way long ago who I was like changing all the contractions and he didn't want me to. Because he was like, no, I, they don't use very many contractions. Mm-hmm. And I disagreed a little bit, but you know, like that's what he wanted for his characters. And so, like, we sort of compromised and I was like, how about I add in a couple and I leave some? Because like, we had to sort of find a balance because. Yeah. I mean, like I wanted to say to him, like, it just doesn't sound quite right. And he was like, this is how I want them to sound. Yeah. So the
0: recommendation that I've given uh, several times to, to, uh, a number of authors is read your dialogue out loud. Um, mm-hmm. ha- maybe even have a person read it with you so that you have a back and forth and see if it feels like people talking to each other, if it feels, you know, stilted and, uh, sort of, um, <clears throat> uh, glacial, uh, yeah. and, and unnatural. Um,
3: if it another sounds like thing,
0: you're talking with Christopher Walken, then you're then you're doing it <laughs> with <wrong>. Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No yeah. one wants
2: that.
0: Nobody wants to talk to him. Uh, but another thing that I've noticed um, is a particular manuscript wherein uh, people call each other by name constantly mm-hmm. um, when they're speaking to each other, and I think that that almost never happens. Like when I'm sitting with my girlfriend. Uh, I don't, I don't say to her, Crystal, what do you think about this? Like that, that's not
2: <laughs> you know who you're I, talking to. Yeah. She understands your body language. She knows you're talking to her.
0: Yeah. And so like using, uh, how do yeah. you feel about this? John would make sense if we were in a large group of people and it wasn't certain who I was speaking to, but mm-hmm. in a small group where there is sort of a back and forth and there's a natural rhythm to the conversation, people don't call each other by name that frequently. Um, and so things like that, which might, seem like they're helpful attribution or, uh, demonstrating some kind of character trait. They're actually quite unnatural to hear.
2: They are a little unnatural, but I will say that given the lack of like body language that you have, sometimes, some, sometimes you need it. But again, we're talking about like, this is a, this is a small margin, but, um, occasionally, like I think my character's probably like call each other their names more often than regular people would but not so often that it's like noticeable but just enough because i i think that there's something about the writing sometimes that like says something about their relationship when they say each other's names Mm -hmm. right but i i think again still it has to be with a purpose
0: yeah absolutely it
2: can't just be like how's the weather elon like you know it has to be like we need to do this, Elon. This is important. Like yes, they absolutely.
0: That is the case. It's yeah. it's emphasis. Um, it it's using a person's name to really get their attention in some kind of exactly. deeper way, as opposed to being like it's hot out today, Katie.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And you're <laughs> like, um, thanks, Elon. That was weird. Yeah. Now, one um, grammatical point I wanted to make. Just what we we We, skip, we did like the ellipses earlier. Is that I want to talk about exclamation points because I'm against them. Yeah. I don't want them in dialogue uh and i think a lot of people think like that's the one place they are okay but i think it's still a cheat because exclamation point just means loud and there's Mm -hmm. so much more to what your character is saying than just volume obviously like i think that's a point where you need a really descriptive follow-up Mm -hmm. Like if they're yelling, then you, you, you need to do something with that An exclamation point is just volume. It's, it's useless to your character as far as like their, their story and their feelings. So
0: to to be honest, I I don't 100% agree. Yeah. Even though like 99% of the time I do. Uh, but I have a hard time. Uh, when a line ends with a comma during a really intense sequence when it's followed by he shouted or you know she bellowed Mm -hmm. like those kinds of actions to me sort of call for an exclamation point and it seems like we have to get out of here comma she bellowed doesn't doesn't (laughs) feel like a bellow to me dave john Um, get over
3: here comma
0: yeah uh comma if but but I, th-
2: I mean, I guess I mean this is also situational. Like I err on the side of just never using them because I hate course. them. But it's um, <laughs> <laughs> like a personal, it's a personal choice. But um, like your example, Ian, if you're like, "Hey, John, get over here," and there's nothing following it, then like an exclamation point does make sense there.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. but I think like if we're talking about like an argument, then there's so much more you can say yes, without absolutely. the exclamation point
1: than with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that
0: action sequences might call for them, whereas almost nothing else does. Yeah,
1: the rule that I like to apply, um, and of course there are exceptions, but it, I generally go by this. If, I mean, he shouted, bellowed, like those sorts of where you're you're talking about, uh, you're, you're spelling the exclamation mark out, then you don't need it. Um, exactly. But if... Interesting. If you're cutting, if you're, I mean, that's implied by the exclamation mark. So it's kind of like whether you say, hey, he said or not, or whether you're just going to let it be implied by context. Um, now, that said, I think the way that sentence is phrased, you have to be careful, because the example you gave, Elon, was incorrect. Like, if somebody put, he bellowed and didn't use an exclamation mark, it's it's a bit strange. Like, you should put the bellowing before like described he shut he you know his his volume was raised or something like that you know like just say something uh-huh. to prime us so that the words we read are somebody who's agitated and speaking loud then we you know what follows we already know it's going to be you know raised volume and we don't need the exclamation mark so there's a lot of ways around that um yeah so it's it's really just as long as it's not awkward um but the one thing is sometimes yeah. it's used redundantly. Mm-hmm. Like you'll use an exclamation mark and then you'll say so and so bellowed or shouted, and you don't need you don't need to do right. that. So
0: thank you, thank you. I learn something every day. <laughs> um, so we we've uh, actually gone over time a little bit, um, but. This has been a fantastic discussion and I really appreciate uh, the information and the knowledge that you all shared. Uh, Is there anything that you guys want to add? Any final thoughts uh, about breaking the rules and dialogue or rules and dialogue in general?
2: I would just say just stay true to your character. Most of Mm -hmm. all, stay true to the story. If you think what's really right for your character is for them to speak a certain way, then, you know, you should go with it and then ask an editor. If if it sounds yes. okay, but yeah. you know, really just stay true to the characters and who they are, and I, and I and I think for the most part you'll be fine.
1: Um, well, I'll add something. My my thing, I my takeaway would be trust your editor. <laughs> I mean, there's more to say than that. Yeah, <laughs> dialogue is a is one of the nuances that I think when you're developing fiction and moving it towards publication, uh, a lot happens in dialogue just because. It's you know capturing that balance is so important. Uh, a lot of things that throw a story off kilter is imbalances and how a scene where there's dialogue um, is put together. So you can have a brilliantly mm-hmm. executed, you know, like just where what's happening in terms of dialogue really moves the narrative forward. But if there's all kinds of things that throw it off kilter and confuse your reader, you're going to totally lose all that momentum. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: agreed. All
0: right. How about you, Ian? Any final thoughts?
3: No, not really, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you for suggesting this. It was a really good conversation. Yeah. I, I learned a lot, and uh, it gives me a lot to think about as I work on my own fiction because um, I, I fall victim, certainly, to the everyone sounds pretty similar uh, situation right now, and I'm trying to imbue characters with voice a little bit more effectively, and I think that um, erring on the side of extreme is going to be helpful in that like trying to insert those ticks or uh a lot of a lot of really obvious differences in the way people talk word choice things like that um will be helpful as i try to differentiate between my characters more clearly as they speak to each other um so hope you enjoyed the podcast listeners uh join us in the future when we'll be talking about uh book covers and why you should judge books by them (laughs) Uh, anyway thank you very much podcasters for joining me thank you listeners and we'll see you next time